Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, Child and Teen Development Specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, it's no secret that many of our black and brown boys are marginalized, mistreated, and made to feel inferior in today's world. You've heard leaders call for systemic change, but that only happens when the people within our systems help them to change. We need advocates and educators and activists to help do this important work, to teach us, to guide us as parents, as coaches, as prominent people in the lives of youth on helping our young people reach their potential. There are some uncomfortable conversations that have to occur about racism, about inequality, about social justice with those young people who are on the receiving end of these inequities, as well as those who are the peers, the friends, the teachers, the parents, um, those people who have to be alongside people and watch or do something when they see those inequities happening every day. How do we talk to our kids about equity and social justice? How do we empower our young people to speak out and make change? And how do we present ourselves as mentors or provide the mentors, be the bridge to the mentors that our children need so that they have people to look to who look like them so that they can see where they can go with hard work and hopefully a fair shot. For all of this, I turn to special educator Jason B. Allen. Jason B. Allen is a special education teacher in Georgia. Jason has worked in education for over 15 years as a teacher and leader servicing students, families, and communities. One way he uses his platform is by helping to improve ways we recruit and retain and empower black male educators to advocate for social justice and equity through his work with Profound Gentlemen. As an education activist and blogger for Atlanta, Jason actively speaks and writes on the ways to improve educational outcomes and is helping lift student voices in decisions to improve and reimagine education. He is a member of the Association of American Educators and an AAE Foundation Advocacy Fellow, and a 2017 You Can Advocates Program alumni. I want to welcome you, Jason B. Allen, to our show today. Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you so much, Dr. Silverman. I am excited to be here on this morning to speak to the work of Profound Gentlemen, an amazing organization that is based out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and really doing the work around teacher diversity and equity. So I'm, again, honored to be here 
and be a part of the conversation. Well, we're thrilled to have you. And before we jump in and get to the main topic of our conversation, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in matters related to social justice, equity, education, and mentorship? What gets me up in the morning is the opportunity to make a positive difference in the world. Mm -hmm. I come from a family of educators and activists, uh, those who have branched out to build businesses, others who have lifted their voices in and out of the classroom for better educational outcomes for black and brown children. And so the work of my ancestors, uh, the work of my immediate family as educators definitely motivates me daily to get up and be a driving force for change in this work. Excellent. Thank you so much for telling us all about that. And it's really interesting that you are an educator and come from a family of educators. I know that in an article you wrote, you said, as a black male educator, I don't just get to talk about it. I have to be about it. Every day I have an opportunity to shift the narrative on how black boys who will grow into productive citizens like me are accepted, treated, perceived, and depicted in the world. Black boys often show some of the highest levels of deficiency in areas of academics, behavior, discipline, and attendance in school. So how do you change the narrative around black boys and how they are accepted, treated, perceived, and depicted in the world? And from your knowledge of how to do this, how can we help the parents and educators who are listening to this right now to do the same? I love this question. So it allows me to talk about Atlanta. Uh, for those who are listening, please feel free to check out Atlanta. It's E-D-L-A-N-T-A dot org. Uh, we substituted the A-T-L and put Ed to represent education. Mm -hmm. And the work that I do with Atlanta, I lift the stories of those who we too often do not hear from. And so as people are perusing through Atlanta, they'll see stories from some of my former students mm. um, across the metro Atlanta area who are gifted and talented, those who are exceptional learners, and they may have deficiencies in the way in which they understand and comprehend uh, certain things. And so being able to share their stories of what's needed in the classroom, what's working for them, what they would like to see the challenges that, you know, seep into the classroom from home and community, how all of these things play a role. And mm -hmm. so, you know, there are so many stories on Atlanta that I share and I encourage parents and teachers and other students to share their stories as well. And so a lot of people reach out to me to share their stories. And, and Dr. Robin, I do want to also add this as an advocate and educator, of course, empowering black and brown boys, I also empower all of my students. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, once people take the barrier of race away mm -hmm. and, you know, that allows people from all walks of life, from different classes, different cultures, different spaces in time to enjoy these stories and get a better understanding of different walks of life. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to add that as well. well I just... think that's really important. I, I agree with you. And, you know, we want to hear the stories of many. There are... 
There are people who have talked about how stories and the information that were provided in classrooms tends to be skewed to white men and white women, um, white men especially, of course, um, and have pr protagonists that are reflective of that. So I think having real live stories uh, that are showcasing our black and brown boys, our black and brown girls, and representing a wider view of who's in the classroom is going to be good for everyone. I would love to hear perhaps one of your favorite stories about uh, maybe uh, one of the, the boys that you've heard from on Atlanta or one of the boys that you have highlighted in your work or that you remember the most. And the lesson it sort of teaches us about how our boys um, can show great potential and by hearing their story, it opens our minds a bit more. Dr. Robin, I'm so honored that you asked this. I have a student, Kaylin Moore, mm. uh, very special to me. He was one of the students when I was a school administrator. I was over school culture for, uh, at the time it was called Latin College Prep. Mm -hmm. And we changed the name to the Rye Schools here in East Point, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I was leading discipline, we all know the data around uh, black boys specifically in public schools and the struggle with discipline, um, policies, also cultural dynamics, et cetera, and so forth. Kaylin was one of my students who I remember in transitioning from the school and going back into the classroom to teach special education. And as I was at my new school teaching, he reached out to me and wrote this amazing letter that I published on Atlanta. It was also published in the 74, which is an amazing educational um, organization that shares publications from students, teachers, parents, educational leaders. Mm -hmm. I think about Kalen because he is such a great example of how building relationships with our students makes positive change and it enables better educational outcomes. Uh, Kalen is currently working in high school. He has used a lot of the things that I have taught him as a teacher to work with younger uh, men who are in programs and organizations that I support, that he uses his skills to mentor them in a way to give back. And so Kaylin also accompanied me to a rally here in Georgia at the Capitol about a month ago now, where he was interviewed by the news mm. and spoke so well about why we need to cancel standardized testing for this year. And he was able to speak on behalf of his peers and even his teachers who have definitely had a hard time during the pandemic. So I would definitely highlight uh, Kalen, his voice and his story. Uh, you will see um, a couple of things on Atlanta that speak to the work that he's formally done and currently is doing in the community to uplift his peers. What do you think it was about your relationship with Kalen that helped him to reach his potential. Clearly, I'm sure he had his own gifts. He sounds like somebody who has incredible gifts and a drive. But I think that for those kids who are perhaps housing some of these gifts but are still looked over or demeaned or made to feel inferior, that sometimes those gifts 
are tucked away and we don't always see them. And I can say that for, you know, kids who are marginalized in all different ways, whether it's because of neurodiversity, um, socioeconomic status, uh, race or, or other things. But in this case, what would you say was some of the strategies you used to connect with somebody like Kaylin and what we can do as parents and educators to make sure we are putting ourselves out there to connect with our students or our children in these unique ways. So Dr. Robin, I will say it's engagement and how we engage our students. That is the overall answer. Mm -hmm. It sounds very simple, but it's not. Uh, For those who are listening, if you have a child that's in public uh, schools, maybe even charter schools, mm-hmm. that is school choice, uh, non-traditional schools. We know that our government does not invest in public education, specifically in family and community engagement. And so I had the opportunity to go to Harvard's uh, College of Education and get my certificate in family and community engagement. And that, under the leadership of Karen Mapp, helped me to reach so many students who quote unquote will be left behind and it goes back to how we're engaging the students and how intentional we are about actually doing what we're doing right now and having a conversation Mm. on you know what are you going through what do you Mm. feel about this like how is the classroom or this school impacting you whether it's positive Mm. or negative and then we lay out the variables we Mm -hmm. start to do the problem solving and so the things that they see teachers do in the classroom, Mm -hmm. they can actually see us doing it in real time. And so that's the buy-in. That's how you get students to come into a realm of, I want to take control of my learning and be more engaged and be a better, you know, representation of who I am in and out of the classroom. Mm -hmm. It is so beautifully said. And, And I think you're right. And when we start to set that intention and we engage in these sometimes difficult conversations, you know, because we then need to open ourselves up to hearing when you said that or did that, it made me feel like this and it's not always pretty. Uh, But I think when we have those conversations and we're open to learning from them, hearing them, growing from them, we find that the conversations do become easier over time and more frequent. Would you agree? I totally agree with that. And Dr. Robin, I have a resource for those who may be listening. It's from a fellow um, male educator of color. His name is Demario Fort and Harmon Fort, excuse me. I want to make sure I'm getting his complete last Mm -hmm. name. He's a member of Profound Gentlemen, and we recognize in the 2% of male educators of color in the nation that there is definitely a need for more social, emotional support for children of color Mm -hmm. in public schools. Mm -hmm. Um, His company's name is Speak Light. Uh, People can visit their website at Mm speaklight.org. They have an amazing success book. It's a guide to success. And it really is motivational for middle school and high school children, regardless of what creed, um, you know, ethnicity, Mm -hmm. race, et cetera, that they come from. It's an amazing tool. Um, It was designed by a male educator of color to specifically address some of the challenges that schools are having with reaching children and they just don't have the resource. So I wanted to share Mm -hmm. that resource. I've used that with my students. It's also helped me a lot with students that are battling uh, anger, 
depression, mm -hmm. isolation, et cetera, so forth in schools. Mm -hmm. Well, I, we will be putting all of those resources that you provide uh, at the, on the, the show notes of this uh, podcast online. So anybody can get those because, of course, many of our listeners are running out the door, listening in the car, <laughs> taking us on an exercise walk. So don't worry if you're not, you know, with pen and paper. Um, we will have all of that in the show notes. Now, I, I want to pick up on something you just said. Um, and you've noted this in your writing before, too, that black boys don't often have a teacher standing in front of them that looks like them. How important do you think it is for black boys to have an educator, a mentor, a guide, or a model who does look like them? Them. And what advice do you have for our families, I'm going to say of color, not just black, uh, black families, but families of color who are listening in on how they might access a mentor if their boys don't have one in their lives who do look like them? And what should we be looking for in a mentor? You know, Dr. Robin, I, I want to I not play devil's advocate, but I want to go in a direction that may cause people to think differently. Mm, mm. Definitely believe that children need to have representation in the classroom, but they also need representation in those areas that impact the classroom, such as school boards mm. and state boards mm. that create the curriculum mm. and the pipelines that teachers come through. Because a lot of the times it's not that we don't have the representation. We don't have the access to funnel in teachers who want to reach various populations of students. Mm. I also like to add this story very quickly. When I came through middle school, you know, middle school can be a very challenging mm. time for students. Yes, it and can. So my parents, my mom being an educator, my dad being an entrepreneur, I had a white teacher, Miss Thornton, I will never forget her. You know, she was like, I don't think that these punitive measures of behavior and discipline are working. Why don't we try this? She she got with my counselor, who was a black male counselor, and they created a mechanism for me to be able to journal. Well, I'm sharing that because it took having a counselor that looked like me, but also someone who didn't look like me coming together to provide a resource that worked. And oh, so I would okay. encourage, you know, people who are wanting to go into the field of education, especially parents who may want to lift their voices to advocate for diversity. Yes, we need diversity, but we also need people with kind hearts. Mm. They can come in classrooms and say, hey, I'm from Buckhead and I have a family member in Bankhead, but I wanna reach you where you are. Mm. So that, that's what I would leave for your question. Oh, love that. And I love the, the communal aspect of that, that when we're putting our heads together, we can find some answers that perhaps we hadn't thought of alone and reaching out to others who may have some additional insight or experience um, that may illuminate our particular issue at that time um, coming at something a little differently because it could have been that your teacher had she been somebody else looked at you who wasn't responding to disciplinary measures um, that were punitive and saying we have to be harsher you know now we're gonna suspend expel um, and in which case you're cutting off the communication and the conversation and you're cutting out the ability to uh, mend mend that child's uh, child's heart that may 
have been broken or they may feel misunderstood. So I, I love the idea that she thought of doing something different and enlisted the help of the counselor and somebody who may have different experience and different education um, to help out. That is beautiful. There was an article that named you as an activist who is knocking down doors and taking seats at the table, so to speak. And it it illuminates the necessity and the representation of student voice in decision-making and education, as you mentioned. So what do you, what would you say you'd like to see in education with regards to equity and what can our listeners do to help ensure that happens? You know, there are a couple of things I want to focus on one Hmm. that people can do. Equity is so important and it goes back to a comment that I just made about curriculum Mm -hmm. and teacher diversity. And so the Atlanta Student Coalition was birthed last year in the pandemic. Um, I'm so grateful that you're going to be highlighting the resources at Mm -hmm. the end. Mm -hmm. Um, I was able to collaborate with another gentleman from um, our organization, Profound Gentleman, Dr. Stephen Bond, who created a book, Perseverance in a Strange Land, The Voices of Youth During the COVID-19 Pandemic. And Stephen and his students shared their experiences in navigating through the pandemic, how this is impacting equity in our schools, how it's impacting our children socially, emotionally, physically. And I'm mentioning this because Stephen and I are going to be partnering together with Atlanta to do another phase of this book, which will be um, surviving through the pandemic and what does this look like for the voices of youth who are advocating for equity. Mm -hmm. And in the book, we're gonna be talking about the importance of culturally inclusive curriculum. Mm -hmm. Um, There are so many parts and avenues and, you know, stories within our American history that are not presented to our children. And we want to make sure that there are curriculums that present everyone at their best, but also those times in history when we were our worst, we still need to reflect those as well. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the areas for equity that we are pushing through the students. This is something that students are asking for and something that they want to see in public education is for parents, teachers, organizations, neighborhoods, communities to challenge your local school boards and also your state boards to partner with organizations such as Profound Gentlemen and others who are helping advance the voices of not just Black educators, but our brown educators, Mm -hmm. our mixed race. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Robin, I think this is an area that is so important when we talk about equity. What about families that are multicultural? You may have a white mom and an Asian dad. Mm -hmm. You may have a Black mom and a white father. So Mm -hmm. how are we reaching those families where they are going beyond just we have one ethnicity that's represented. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about equity, that's what we're fighting for, that's what we're advocating for, and that's what we're wanting people to join um, join in doing the work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is wonderful, and thank you for illuminating that aspect because, of course, families are looking more and more different um, each each passing year. I mean, obviously, the, it is a multicultural world, and it, it is important to represent 
many different voices. So I, I think that's inc- incredibly important. Now, I, I think it's important for us to delve into some of the more uncomfortable conversations that I know our parents really do want to have with kids. And I know that the educators who are listening also want to have with the kids and also want to be prepared to have with the kids. And I I think most people would agree that being a black boy, brown boy in America right now can still be frightening for some, uh, for many. For your students and as a mentor, Can you provide some scripting um, for how we can talk to our boys about the violence and mistreatment of people of color? Is this something that you talk about with students, especially when we hear another tragedy in the news involving uh, people of color? And if so, how do you talk about this feeling of of mistreatment and and the unfair nature of it and, and the feeling of helplessness? Now, Dr. Robin, let me get my tea for this. Well, you know what? This is you know what? I have had question. it is a lot of very tough conversations that we do. But you know what? If we don't have them, what the heck am I doing here? Right? Yes. Like we have to have them. So yes, right. yes, absolutely right. And Dr. Robin, I was asked that by one of the journalists for the AJC recently here in Atlanta, and my response is, "This is what I'm doing every day in my classroom." Yeah. We, and I missed this growing up. We used to have a section in every class where we dealt with current events. Mm. And it allowed, now that I reflect back on it, I do see that a lot of my teachers actually led the discussion Mm. as opposed to allowing the students to give their feedback. And that is one of the things that I changed in how I reach my students. We talk about these events, what's happening in our society, mm-hmm. what's happening in our communities mm-hmm. in an upfront yet loving way. And I want to stress loving mm. because as a black male in America, the stories are already created for us. <laughs> and a lot of times they are so negative. Mm-hmm. People begin to believe, well, all black men are dangerous. Right. All black women are angry. All white people are racist. Right. And I have to walk those conversations back right. because again, everyone has free will. Everyone has a different experience and everyone has a choice to make in regards to how they react and they act to certain things. And so that's how we began to dissect what's happening. And the students will say, I don't believe in that. However, my grandmother does, and that's who I live with. And so when I'm in the house, I have to be extremely quiet about Mm -hmm. speaking out against racism or classism or sexism. Mm -hmm. I like to call them the isms because Mm -hmm. you have other people from different generations, different Mm -hmm. experiences, different beliefs Mm -hmm. that, you know, want to a lot of times insert their belief onto someone else. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with this generation, if we give them an opportunity to voice how they feel and then embrace their opinions, we can begin to see some growth. And so those are the things that I'm doing in my classes, in my small groups, in my mentoring programs to challenge youth in various communities to think differently and not make the assumption that all all black men, all black women, mm. all white people, all Hispanics are are bad. Mm-hmm. And looking at the people committing the acts and how can we hold them accountable? Mm. 
I, I mean, I think all of that is is extremely important in having these conversations and, and knocking off those absolutes, um, because when we speak in absolutes like that, we get absolutely nowhere. Um, so let's put ourselves in your classroom or in your office and a child says, I am... What what happened yesterday uh, with uh, that particular boy in in the news who got shot, who was going to the grocery store and do, minding his own business and and got shot, or that person who um, was was told that he couldn't shop at that store in in our next community, and you know, the bringing forth that particular current event. What is the initial thing that we say when they bring forth this this conversation? Other kids are joining in. Yes, you know, unfair, disgusting. I hate these people. Da 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 da. And they're going on about their frustration, of course. Now, what as the educator or as the parent do you say in that moment when they are bringing forth this truth that it is profoundly unfair? but also that you're an educator and you are a parent, so you have some insight into more of this global view. What what do you say in that moment? You know, I think back to my great grandmothers. I think about Dr. King and so many who have influenced me. I drive the conversation around love. You know, the thing with love is, we can be upset in that moment. We can be disgruntled about what we witnessed. And then we can take that moment to balance ourselves in love and determine what are going to be our action steps. Mm-hmm. And when I say that to students, they're like, okay, that that makes sense, but give me a little more. Yeah, and what can and we so do I, about it? We're just kids. So what do, what do we have right. power to do? And I tell them, I said, well, this is the mistake that a lot of adults make we are reactionary Mm -hmm. and that that's a normal thing there are some times where you have to be very quick when there are emergencies and we teach students this you have to act quickly because it's an emergency if you see a baby falling running to go get it Mm -hmm. you know someone is in need of help you know dropping what you're doing in that moment and making sure that that person is okay but then we have other situations where you know, people are talking about us and they're being disrespectful and, you know, they're causing a, a friction. And so in that moment, what are we doing to take a step back and to meditate in love that will help determine our actions? And so when we have these conversations about, you know, for example, someone that may have gotten shot in the community, I ask the students, well, how do you think these things happen? Because a lot of times it's because people are having an argument that could have been an innocent bystander. We just had that recently happen. Mm -hmm. A young man was going to the store to get some things for his grandmother and two adults were having an argument. And in the heat of the moment, they're not thinking they're upset. They're enraged and, and passionate about whatever it is that they're talking about that the reaction caused harm to someone else. Mm -hmm. And so in that moment, we pause and we think, and then I go back to the steps of telling them now in these situations, we have to pause and think, how do I want to respond? Because the way that you respond can have negative or positive effects on not just you, but the people around you. Mm -hmm. So are you putting yourself then in the, in the mind and in the shoes of those who are arguing 
and what could you have done to calm mm-hmm. yourself down and be mindful of what's going on and, and be aware of your body and your feelings and your anger and express it in a different way? Or are you putting yourself in the the shoes of the the innocent bystander or the other bystanders who saw it happen how, how do you proceed with that well definitely the first i because this is this is the dynamic dr robin we all can identify with emotions we all are yes. happy sad we get angry we you know may get depressed about things that are really heavy going on in the world and so that's a way for me to connect with all of my students where wherever community they may live, religious beliefs, et cetera, so forth. Everyone can connect to that moment. And so in that moment, I go back to those steps. So now think about the people that were arguing that caused this horrible fate of this young man who innocently was just walking by to get groceries for his grandmother. And then they sit and think about, wow, I remember when my mom is, you know, out and she's arguing with someone because they parked too close to the car. Mm -hmm. And what role could I play? Like, hey, mom, you know, it's okay. The car didn't get, you know, scratched. Let's Mm -hmm. just, you know, nod and keep going. So it doesn't become something that could be detrimental to others. And so I give my students those times Mm -hmm. to reflect so that we can use the cautionary tales of others to help eliminate those situations from happening in our own lives and in our community. I I think that's great. Uh, You know, Right now, I teach a character education curriculum. I write a character education curriculum called Powerful Words, and we're doing three units right now, uh, January, empathy, um, February, self-control, and March, we're doing anger management. And they all build on each other. This is something that I, there's a different word every single month, but um, after-school programs use it um, to talk to kids and it's scripting uh, for teachers and and projects for the kids. And and what you're talking about really resonates right now with me because of of that, right, it was just put out the new curriculum for on self-control. And we're teaching kids to, identify what's going on in their bodies, you know, prior to when they act on whatever impulse or whatever thing is going on. So, you know, where do you feel it when you're starting to get frustrated? Um, How can we put ourselves in another person's shoes so that we can be more empathetic in that moment, um, being mindful of your, you know, mounting frustration or your rage? And how can we help that subside in a productive way without stuffing our feelings and then obviously getting more frustrated and then having an explosion? So I, I really like that it's kind of getting back down to the not just personal responsibility, but just awareness so that when we are in a situation that could go awry, we catch it before it does. And when one person in that situation, now here we have two people arguing, when one person is staying calm, it can't escalate to the point that it might have if both people were unaware of their emotions and allowing it to mount and mount and mount until the explosion happens. Would you agree? I totally agree with that. And I'm also excited about the curriculum that you're teaching. Yeah, it's it's a it's important to get down and strip it down to to character. Of course, you know, it's it's all about 
people understanding that, yes, it has a lot to do with themselves because that's honestly the only thing that we really have true control over. But I would imagine that your students might push back and say, all right, well, if I'm you know, keeping myself calm and I'm aware of empathy and self-control and anger management, well, what about the responsibility of all these other people who, even if I'm staying calm, you know, go off the deep end and do horrible things? I feel helpless. What, what would you do to respond to that? You know, feelings of hopelessness, from what I have experienced, always connect to someone wanting to be heard, someone yes. wanted to be seen, someone mm -hmm. wanted to be you know, appreciated. And when I was a school administrator, that was the most impressive things. The students wanted someone to listen to them. And I said, guys, we need a counselor because now I'm seeing that the students are purposely getting in trouble mm. to come out of the classroom and come and have conversations with me. Yes. And then I said, oh, I've, I'm seeing what you all are doing. So now I started saying, okay, you're in trouble. Now I'm going to have to teach you. So now I moved my desk in my area out in the open space where I would hold what would be called in-school suspension. And I was actually teaching. I said, okay, now I have all of your assignments. That's not correct. You need to start all the way back over. And the kids love that structure. Mm -hmm. They loved seeing that someone wanted them to do better. And someone was taking the time to mm -hmm. listen to them, but also helping them and, you know, encouraging mm -hmm. them. And so... Mm -hmm. For those students that feel isolated, mm -hmm. who feel hopeless, we have to go above and beyond making sure that what they need socially, emotionally is being met. And a lot of times, Dr. Robin, that transfers over into the work that we do in the communities and in the household. Yeah, you had mentioned in an article that uh, you know, you've spoken about handling many disciplinary cases I mean as you're mentioning here and you you actually said more than this was really shocking to me more than 89 percent of the cases dealt with biased policies that suggested harsher punishments for disciplinary reasons many of the victims of the unjust consequences were black and brown students so you know it, it's important for us to talk about this and how we can talk to our kids about what's happening when they are saying it is unjust um, and they know it's not right and yet they feel powerless to do anything about it it's interesting to me that the way to the way for you to deal with disciplinary issues as you've mentioned is to connect with the student and really listen to what they're saying because they're acting out can either be a cry for I need somebody to see me and listen to me um, or just a feeling of, of frustration and rage um, for maybe being undermined or made to feel that they weren't good enough or, or what have you. So connection is is really the recipe for success here. Isn't that right? That is absolutely correct. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, interestingly, um, you know, we, we often, when we're talking about equity and race, um, you know, we're focused 
on the issues that we've just discussed. But I would love to get a little bit more nuanced here because as a special education teacher, I would love to your perspective as how any of this may be more difficult for children who have special needs and are also people of color. It seems to me that they have... A, a harder a harder job here um, getting through life because now they have special needs and can be judged due to those and needing uh, extra assistance and um, modifications to succeed and reach their potential as well as their people of color and people are judging them for for those reasons in a negative way what, what's your view on that so dr robin i I'm, I'm holding a book in my hand. It actually just came in the mail this week. I'm a part of a group called Edumatch. I've been working with them since 2016. Um, it's an anthology of educators mm-hmm. across the states. It's called Snapshot in Education. And we share our stories and experiences to reach parents, teachers, educational leaders across the spectrums. And one of the things that I wrote about Um, the particular focus for this past year is on the struggles of black boys in American public schools who are in special education programs. Mm, Okay. And to your question, it has been extremely difficult to empower them when they already have felt disconnected in schools uh, to get them excited about planning for the future, especially college, because they're not seeing that maybe in their communities or it's not, something that is, I don't want to say it's not important, but it's not a sense of urgency in their household because their Mm -hmm. families are trying to work to survive Mm -hmm. during the pandemic. So there have been a lot of challenges for young men in special education programs due to the lack of engagement and connection that is able to take place when you're in a face-to-face setting. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also it is the learning styles, and, and I wanted to you know, end on this. One of the things that I have found with working with children in special education programs is that a lot of times the teachers are not teaching to their learning style and parents are not even familiar with that pedagogy. Mm-hmm. So they don't even really know how to reach their child at home mm-hmm. in regards to their learning style. Mm-hmm. And so that has been a big challenge during the pandemic for children, especially those who are exceptional learners in special education programs. Well, give us an example of what that would mean um, in terms of, let's say a child has a particular learning style um, that would need some alterations in the way that information is uh, is, is taught um, or is, is provided so that a child could succeed. Um, what kind of change like give me an example of a type of student that you would you would suggest in 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 special ed that may need something like that and what an educator or a parent might do in order to best support them my overarching answer is going to be patience (laughs) i have a young man that has two hearing aids Mm -hmm. and you know that's extreme because most of our students normally have if they have you know any impact with 
you know, hearing it's with one hearing aid mm -hmm. and not two. And so, of course, that makes it a little bit more extreme. It also impacts speech. Right. And so, of course, speech is something that we do in person and we've been very creative in how we're reaching the students virtually. I wanted to use this student in particular that has a double hearing aid because you have to be extremely patient. There are times when, and there are also parents that are listening, we all know that adolescence is a very strange land <laughs> no for kidding. children. And so, you know, as they're growing and learning, yes, I know I need these hearing aids, but they're irritating my ears and mm -hmm. I want to have on my headphones and I want to also look cool yeah. because, you know, how children look also yeah. impacts the way that they learn. And so one of the things that we have had to do with this young man in particular is to set various times that we're meeting with them. So for example, even before the class that I do with Tim on Tuesday, on Monday mornings, you know, we get together and it may be a 15 minute, you know, motivational session where I'm simply walking back through, here are the things that you must do in order to be successful. It's a checklist mm -hmm. uh, and it's done in steps because Dr. Robin, and for those who are listening, I have definitely found this to be true with exceptional learners. If they're auditory, visual, kinesthetic, these lists work for them. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, no I'm pulling kidding. things out. First, mm -hmm. make sure you have your hearing aid. Two, make sure you have some water mm -hmm. near you because that water helps bring down anxiety. I know a lot of people don't. I believe in the power of water. I've mm -hmm. seen it work with students. Mm -hmm. Letting students have a water bottle, it calms them down. It makes them not be so fidgety. Mm -hmm. And so when you go through these steps and they're able to remind themselves, it also makes them feel like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm a grown-up, not an adult, mm -hmm. maybe a young teen. But I have some responsibility, right? Because here are my steps mm -hmm. that I have to follow. And so those things, be creating a strong routine and being patient are things that parents and educators can do to reach those that have uh, exceptionalities in the way that they learn. And what about the students who may be neurodiverse? So let's say a child with anxiety, anxiety and ADHD, um, and they are also um, a person of color, and they feel like they're being judged in, in many different ways. Mm -hmm. Perhaps they are more impulsive or less focused. Obviously, ADHD looks so different on, in many different children, and there is no one way. But how can we best support our neurodiverse kids of color who may be being judged in, in a variety of ways so that they can also be successful in a school environment and frankly in life dr robin i'm i am loving the questions on today let me give this answer affirmations are so important i wish that you all could see my office space that I've turned into basically a studio. I took pictures from my classroom, motivational sayings that would really get my students focused and going. Those things create a different culture. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it starts there, especially with those children that have exceptionalities, because if you eliminate the possibility of failure, not error, but failure, then they, they have more stake in the game. They feel like, okay, this is obtainable mm -hmm. because a lot of children know that they have 
a deficiency or they learn differently mm -hmm. because they're experiencing it. So it's always in the front of their mind. And so what I would leave with everyone who's listening is that make success possible because mm -hmm. success also can look in different ways. And so if you start off with affirmations, it makes a world of difference in students that have ADHD, ADD, EBD, mm -hmm. et cetera, so forth. It really, really does make a huge impact if you start off with affirmations and you make success possible. Yeah, I would say that, you know, those affirmations are become more than just pictures on the wall. They become mantras that are adopted by each student in a different way. And so when you have them around your home or around your school, and the children are reading them every day, and they may even walk past them and not even realize that they're reading them, that once they become mantras and they're adopted in your life, the um, the I cans and all of us have special gifts and I am fully able that those kinds of messages that are seeping into our brains um, become guides for us as we are starting our work. And the parents, I just want to highlight this, but parents and educators can then take those affirmations and repeat them uh, themselves in voice, the more that our ears hear them, the more that our eyes see them, they become part of the way that we think. And even if we're sort of feel like we're lending them at first, uh, eventually they are remembered and they are seeping in and they associate those words, not just with what's on the wall, but what's in their heart and what's in their brain. Uh, wouldn't you agree? I totally agree i totally agree with that it does make a world of difference especially in having been an administrator that led culture and a lot of these areas connect to this that's something that i would love for more parents to advocate for in their schools mm -hmm. how are we building culture what is our culture program how are we connecting recess how are we connecting visual arts how are we connecting mentoring programs how are we connecting discipline and attendance and you know, cultural celebrations, all of those things fall into culture. And so to what you just said, I think that that would be a great avenue for parents and teachers to uplift for those things to be intricate elements mm -hmm. that are supported in the schools. Excellent. Please vin finish this sentence. Our job as mentors, guides, and advocates for Black youth is to empower them to go beyond the negative stereotypes that have been labeled for them and to create new stories. Mm, excellent. Thank you so much. Give us your top tip. What do you want people to walk away with after listening to this podcast and incorporate into their lives or into the way that they think? What I would say, this will be my homework assignment because I do this with my students. <laughs> I would definitely ask this question what do you want to be and think about three things that you want to impact that will leave a lasting legacy for you in the future and i ask that to my students but i also ask this to my parents because we're all always changing and so right now in this moment what do you want to be as a parent as a teacher as an activist um, as someone who's a citizen here in the United States, what do you want to be in regards to 
ensuring that all families, all students, all people are safe, respected, and loved. Mm. Thank you so much for that. Give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to learn more about you and the work that you're doing? Okay, so the resource for the week would definitely be edlanta.org. That is how people can connect with me and also see the stories from the amazing students that I'm working with and also some of the organizations that I'm supporting, such as Profound Gentlemen, who mm. are leading the work in regards to improving teacher diversity and equity in our schools. So you will be able to connect to Dr. Bond, who I mentioned earlier, Profound Gentlemen, uh, Demario Hartman Ford, and so many other resources that I'm using in and out of the classroom. Excellent. Again, I will have all of those on our show notes for this podcast so that anybody who's listening can get to all of those links easily. And I just want to thank you so very much, Jason B. Allen, for being on the show today, for your insights, your strategies, uh, for your experience. I think it was an incredibly important conversation, and uh, I look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Robin. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. So let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. You can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com, twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so others can learn more about Jason B. Allen and his strategies and his insights and be able to use them in their own homes. The more we get educated about about equity and social justice and how we can best help our black and brown students. We can help all of our students rise and reach their potential. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. Perhaps you heard something today and you thought, I should have done this differently. I was about to have this conversation with my kid and I chickened out. Um, He said something, she said something to me and I, I missed the cue. That's okay. You can try again. It's not like the conversation is gone. Just go and revisit it. Have it again. I see you. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.